All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's Action for Everyone. I think we're up to episode six. I've kind of stopped counting, but uh, but uh, I am one of your hosts, Mike Scott, and I am joined, since I do like to change up the introductions, I am joined this week by one of our co-hosts, the almighty Vice Victus. Vice, how are you today, man? I'm a co-host now. That shit is dope. I'm doing good, man. <laughs> and we are also joined by Liam O'Donnell. Liam, how are you today, man? Uh, I am doing great. Uh, happy to be here with you guys on our uh, our first Thanksgiving week episode uh, and um, filled with a lot of gratitude from the reactions of everybody to the pod so far. And uh, and yeah, I'm just it's it's been it's been everything I hope for and more. So that's my Thanksgiving uh, right up front. <laughs> Yeah, no question. Um, the the outpouring of support for us doing this has been um, really kind of, uh, you know, this isn't my first go around doing podcasts and, and I have not had one that has taken off to the level that this one has. Um, and so it's been it's been really nice. Um, and Vice, you actually I, I do want to shout out to you because you had tweeted earlier this week about how. Um, you were a little little nervous about two random white dudes just calling you up and being like, hey, want to be friends and want to be on this podcast. Um, but what you said was really touching, man. Like, I am I'm I'm really glad you're having fun doing this with us because we're having a blast doing it with you. It's just it feels good to like. Well, they always say you got to have a try to get your voice in this industry, whatever the fuck they want to say, you know, and that was like kind of literal for me now, you know, like actually talking, like I said, talking to a well-renowned podcast maestro and a future hall of fame filmmaker and all you know it's like shit is dope man living a dream i'm chilling out man it's good man life is good right now i'm all right i'm all right you know shit sucks and you know shit's hard no matter where you at you know like news in the world you know it's just you know difficult but like we're here as a community together enjoying this stuff like you know, kind of help each other get through each day get through life you know with, with, with the joy we have and that's really what i wanted to say you know thank y'all listening oh thank you guys both of you two white guys <laughs> two <red and> white <laughs> guys for looking me up and thank you everybody out there in the podcast universe out there on the streets everywhere for giving us support we really appreciate it yeah yeah um all right well with that liam what do you want to start us off with this week what do we want to what do we want to talk about this week uh, well i just it's funny what we you know when we started this uh as opposed to maybe if it had been started in the previous administration you i uh, would have just had me like frothing at the mouth complaining about the fucking son of a bitch the whole time and it's been nice that this podcast hasn't had been like a political onslaught and we get to discuss a lot of political things with nuance. Um, and I, 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 I always listen to every episode and I always want to take a step back and be like, am I sounding like a cranky old man? Who's just like, you know, kind of pushing back on the new readings and the new politics of people uh, that, that are, are foisting on, on my, my action genre. And I'm longing for things to be simpler. Uh, but I actually do think, you know, in general, that action movies are in a really good place. And I do think this, this kind of pressure from both sides is um, making things smarter and making things more nuanced and making things better. And, uh, and so again, I, I'm going to try to be uh, more positive on this episode. And, but I did want to just touch on some of the stuff that people were, you know, it was a, it was a tough week in the news. Um, we, we don't have to get totally into it, but uh, you know, you have uh, basically this fucking asshole shooting people at a protest and he gets off on it scot-free. 
I don't want to get into the technicalities. To be honest, I didn't really follow the trial because uh, it, it seemed like the, the decision was in very, very early on. Um, but what people started kind of, again, like the, the first thing they want to blame for the rise of fascism is art. And uh, that, again, kind of made, made raised my ire. Um, there was there was one kind of viral post about how it was about Breaking Bad and and uh, Fight Club were the last grasp of American masculinity before falling into this trap, and um, I just wanted to say, as someone who grew up in a in a house that was slow roasted by right wing media, it, it's not about the art, guys. It was like I'd wake up every morning and there'd be focus on the family playing on the radio. I'd come home from school, Rush Limbaugh's on the radio. And then at night it was, uh, you know, the, the O'Reilly factor, like it is, it, 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 the indoctrination is not happening within the arts. I, I, I kind of, I just have to push back on that one in general. I know that there's, and, and, and like my dad, who again is this is a right wing Republican, he would watch Fight Club and think it's like anarchist bullshit, and he'd fucking hate it. <laughs> you know, like, like it's not. I, I I just don't get where where people are going to come at those things in that way, and and it feels like it's this um, it's it's kind of a more modern way to to look at at media. But um, yeah, Fight Club to me was uh, a really great, um, you know. Uh, movie of that time and i and it does challenge a lot of things it does have a lot of questions i don't know if it has a complete clear political ideology because it does kind of go into all these different tangents and it is it is touching on the nerve of what uh people are saying but um yeah i i i really gotta look more towards uh you know rupert murdoch and uh you know the american conservative conservative uh radio system as as the proponents of of this slide that we're we're feeling in this country and uh and that's the straw man that i wanted to attack this week <laughs> yeah um i you know it's um i talked about this in other, other podcasts other conversations but you know because also since i've been in school i also done some film slash media studies my major and for my bachelor's was uh communications and media studies and so part of that you know the the beginning of history of what we know as cinema, you know, infamously stuff like uh, Birth of a Nation, you know, you know, all the kinds of uh, propaganda. So like, there, nobody's saying that the me messages in the media aren't impactful. I don't think that's, that's not what Liam is saying. If you guys are listening, don't try to misconstrue that. So you know, because there is like you know, the years of evidence and uh, and the where the culture evolves and how that stuff can and does impact. But uh, like he's saying, like. We, it's not just one thing like you know that's the, that's the same kind of argument as like you know video games will make kids violent it's not you know it, it's taking the bridge too far whatever you want to call it it's making that leap that too big of a leap to just to have you know all say oh conservative fucking media is gonna ruin us when it's like the, the actual media empire has conglomerates the, the myth the, the medium not the media but the medium that's that's really uh, kind of warping our minds um, you know, the thing was, uh, that said, I, I do still, in my case, I am, I do get, con I don't know, concerned is the right word or, or just, uh, I, I'm wary of when elements of this kind of, not new fringe, but, uh, this developing fr fringe, well, becoming mainstream, uh, zealots kind of get into the game too, or, like in the news recently, in, in this past week, uh, Gina Carano was making a movie about uh, Hunter Biden. You know, it's like 
And she was famously or infamously kind of uh, kicked off of Star Wars because she was talking all this QAnon bullshit. It's like, you know, like, <laughs> it's, it's that, that kind of, like, then in, 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 earlier this year, actually, yeah, as a matter of fact, earlier this year, uh, Ben Shapiro uh, funded uh, this, this, like, weird diehard in a school shooter movie. Which right. I haven't seen, but I am I am curious about it because I, I want to you know see into the mind of madness in in a way. I, I I mean, from what I heard on that one is that that was made by the like um, the Dallas Sunny Air, yeah, and then, it, movie. and then Ben Shapiro like picked it up yeah. in post. It's like, oh, I can I can you know yeah. and, you know take people, advantage of this message. Um, yeah, but yeah. So so, so it, well, my point was that you know I am still I will always be concerned about that kind of stuff because like, like again that's the kind of part of the history of the medium but yeah like you're right you can't like lay all the blame on just that and you know like burn those books or whatever well you know like just try to destroy the medium because like there's a larger fucking whole institution in place that's fucking us up it's not just the fucking movies you know yeah yeah, yeah. you know yeah I, I i'm so glad you clarified that but i i think what i what i'm kind of reacting to is people that you know didn't grow up around right-wing people making these like assertions that it's liberal artists that are causing the problem. <laughs> and that's kind of like, I'm like, ah, guys, like you just, uh, I, I, it, to me, those takes betray a lack of awareness of what's really going on with people on that side of the spectrum. So I think that's where I get irritated about it because it's like, they're looking back at their own consumption and they're like, well, where did I feel like this? And they're drawing those conclusions, but I'm like, it goes way farther back than that. And you're kind of grasping at straws and, and you're, you're kind of revealing your own ignorance to, to what's really going on in, uh, in those circles. And so that, that's sort of what I think um, is, is where that, that irritation, again, it's not like, oh, art has no responsibility. Um, I just don't think that you could even say either of those pieces of art are right wing, which was Breaking Bad and in Fight Club, I think they're decidedly much more uh, in the middle, and if not leaning liberal, but that's my own read on it. So, obviously, you know, this week I kept my mouth shut a lot because as you guys know what I do for a living, and uh, nothing, nothing infuriates me more than um, a bunch of people who've never set foot in a courtroom thinking they all of a sudden are some keen like there's never more lawyers in the world than there is when there's a high profile trial right like all of a sudden everybody fucking knows what they're doing um but also i understand you know everybody uh, was angry and they don't they don't need me being pedantic about what they're saying isn't accurate because they don't actually ultimately care what they care about is that they're angry and and right you know and but the one thing that I have seen come up a bit and it's come up a bit. It came up a bit a couple of weeks ago when one shot came out um, and a lot of people talking about, you know, how they don't feel comfortable watching military movies anymore and, and stuff like that. And in the whole argument that, you know, movies that involve cops or propaganda and, and, and stuff like that. And for me, the problem I have with that is. Everybody on social media, well, at least everybody on Twitter, I, I'm not on Facebook anymore, but everybody on Twitter is fucking children and I'm an old. So I'm old enough to remember the satanic panic that Judas Priest supposedly caused, right? I'm old and I was a metal kid. I, I remember 
um, before I became a goth kid, I was a metal kid. And I, you know, and I remember all the art, you know, and Tipper Gore and the PMRC and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. Now, now it's sort of one of those things that was always the conservative argument. And now it's sort of kind of becoming the, the leftist liberal argument of the media we consume is destroying the world. And I just, I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I work with, for instance, a lot of police officers, and uh, I don't know a single fucking one of them that joined up because they watched Lethal Weapon too much as a kid. Like, like you know, and if that was their reason, they're not making it out of basic. You know, Vice, I don't want to speak for you, but as a former soldier, I don't know how many people were like, yeah, man, I fucking love Platoon, so I'm going to join up for the Marine, <laughs> right? Like, you know, like... Like people go into those professions for a variety of reasons. It's not typically because of the movies that they're watching. Um, now, I, however, am going to disprove my own point because I went to law school because of a few good men. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, but also on top of that, I went to law school because I didn't know what that the only thing I'm good at is talking shit. And that's literally <laughs> the only profession where you can get paid to talk shit. All but, um, you know. Media both helps and hurts us. It upsets us. It, it, it uplifts us. You know, I watched, it's not an action movie, but by far and away, and we'll get into the movies we watch by far and away, the best movie I watched this week was tick, tick, boom, you know? And, um, man, I was on a, such a fucking high after watching that movie. I was bouncing off the walls. I just, everything, my heart was filled and, uh, <laughs> You know, and sometimes other movies do the opposite of that, right? They make you down. They make you feel shitty. But it's still not ultimately going to, I think, decide who you are as a person. The Marvel movies, nobody signed up for the Air Force because of fucking Captain Marvel. Like, no, they're, they're no. not, you know. Um, this is where we're kind of all over the place on this. But I... No, I, but I yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Liam. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I was just saying, I think I think what we're, we're saying is that, like, the problem is, is that on the left side, which is where I believe we're, we all lean, is that we're all kind of bending over backwards to make ourselves like really dull and deluded with utopian thinking. And on the other side, they're asking when they get to shoot us. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's, like, it's like we're all trying to be like, let's make sure that our media consumption is perfect in both, you know, intent and everything and that and then the other side is like i want to kill you and i'm like oh, cool. I, I i'm not feeling great about our chances right now and i think <laughs> I can't, like, i'm just like you guys need to like uh you know accept that the world and that the art and everything is going to have flaws and like you're saying it's going to upset you and it it doesn't necessarily have to agree with you and when you watch old movies you don't have to be like oh my god that this is so dated this i don't know i'm getting that part of of the of the the discourse does exhaust me, but you know, I I I I I I'm very weary about sounding like I'm this cranky old man, but I guess it's just coming, and there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> well, I, well, uh, to go back to uh, Mike's point about uh, no, I didn't join the army because of platoon or Apocalypse now, but I did join because of uh, that. Uh, Tommy loving TV show Star Trek, specifically Deep Space Nine, because of Captain Cisco. So how about that, you know? <laughs> but also uh, to Liam's point, yeah, it's like a, a, I forget who the who the artist was, but they were. It was a quote from years ago, back during the Vietnam War, like uh, they said, like all the art, all the music, and stuff, all the protests that, you know, it was it had this great 
feeling of movement, but it kind of had the impact of a cream pie or whatever, like a, like a, a custard pie or something like, you know, it, it's, we have to make sure we keep our priorities straight about what's going to actually be effectual and cause change or cause progress. Yeah, I, I get the feeling I felt my, myself sometimes too, you know, like, uh, it's, uh, well, just recently here in New York, uh, it kind of makes national news about that. We got a mayor, or the mayor-elect is like a um, retired police cop, police uh, captain or whatever. And, you know, like, the kind of, it's the, the perception that, not perception, the, uh, you know, all ACAB or cops are bad, or, or, or that uh, New, York, New Yorkers hate cops or whatever. And, but there's a lot of complexities politically and socially to how this came to be. And that's, so, yeah, it's like, um, we can't just use these blanket, uh, these blanket proposals or these blanket way of thought. That's that's how it's going to fix things. There's a lot more complexities and nuance we have to like actually dig through and work with, not just like you know blaming fucking movies for this shit. <laughs> well, and that's the, that's the Thank problem. You. Social media has just absolutely destroyed nuance and complexity, and because you can't have nuance in 240 characters, right? Like that's just that that's part of the problem is. Um, there is nuance. Nuance exists in the world. I mean, I am an extremely leftist liberal, like extremely leftist liberal, but I work in an incredibly conservative profession. And how does that work? Well, because, you know, and this is the one thing that I, I will always say sort of when I see stuff like what happened this week where everybody's like, the system's broken, the system's corrupt. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily disagree with you on that. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of shots taken at people who do what I do for a living. And I just comfort myself knowing, well, yeah, but I'm going to go in tomorrow and actually try and make a difference while you're still going to be sitting there bitching on Twitter. So that, you know, I mean, that's that's the thing is you make a difference where you can. Uh, but it's so much easier to just complain at 240 characters. Um, I'm sure I'm rubbing people. We're rubbing people the wrong way. But <laughs> I know Thanksgiving episode. Fuck everybody. <laughs> I, look, I looked at our numbers just before we started recording, and I'm like, well, this one's gonna, this one's gonna be a loser. We're gonna take a deep down turn. Oh, let, well, let's bring it up. I'm ready yeah. to tell some more people to fuck off. Um, <laughs> Liam, I, Liam I'm going to be positive this week. Yeah, yeah but okay, but look, let's get I want I want uh, I'll just come off the top rope and say guys, the next time anything is announced about Timo's remake of Trade to Busan, which is now <laughs> called Last Trade to New York, just ignore all of the fucking performative crybabies. We don't have to even respond anymore. We don't have to fave each other's tweets. We don't have to high five. We don't reach it. Let's just be silent. Let's just silo them in their fucking crying chamber because who fucking cares? You're proving the point of why they should make this movie because the awareness of the original is humongous. Everybody talking about it. You're just proving the studio's point. They go, oh, my God, look at all the fucking people that are aware of Trade to Busan. That's crazy. That wouldn't even have happened like 10 years ago. But because that movie hit Netflix when it did and it had such crazy wildfire word of mouth, you're proving everybody's point. And the, the fact of the matter is we don't have to stick up for Timo because he's a big fucking boy and he's going to kill it. And everybody's going to go see it and they're going to shut the fuck up. So that's my that's my thesis on that. But I'll let you guys go next. 
Yeah, I do feel like a little bit that Vice and I have been uh, sort of a two-pronged attack the last week on this, but Vice, <laughs> I'll let you I'll let you take the lead. Oh, well, yeah, like, uh, you know, I've kind of, my ongoing thoughts about the remake process in general is my main contention with the, the outcry about it is that um, in, in the rush to defend Asians and people of color making art, the kind of it's ironically dismisses the fact that this the remake uh, process is an international fact of cinema. Like other countries have been doing this for decades. And, and this has been uh, a shared kind of experience for over all these years, remaking each other's movies from all over the world, you know? Um, and so like it, it, that, it, to me, the kind of, first of all, they're gonna people saying they're gonna remake this as a white guy movie, but the team ain't white. So like that itself, just that like that kind of that by trying to not be racist, you're being racist anyway because you're being ignorant, and that's it's ignorance. It's like of, of how the actual industry works as far as remakes goes, and who who's doing this stuff. And, and um, I'm sorry, has there been a casting announcement on this? Do you know it's starring yeah. a white guy? No, you don't. Is it, yeah. just stop jumping down people's throats? You don't fucking know yet. Yeah. And then even like like uh, the other part of this that yeah I want to make this clear because it's like um the, we like I said we've been doing this for years but also like uh, there is there is one thing people like you know the the proclivity of American remakes kind of overriding. Uh, international films, which is one, is a dumbass argument. That's never the case. Movies still exist, but there's a bigger concern about the uh, what they call it, the uh, Western or American cultural hegemony, kind of overriding or controlling other nations. And I, I could see that, you know, like that was definitely the case in the '80s. You know, all, all the fucking Rambo's and all the Rockies. That was definitely the case, I think. But now, like right now, not so much. Like other than like, unless you're like a, a Marvel movie or like you know Tom Cruise. Nobody kind of fucks with American movies any, that much anymore, you know. Like, I was I was looking through specifically like uh the big three Asian countries, as in like uh media wise, China, Japan, Korea, and most of their films over the past couple recently few years at least, most of their biggest box office draws domestically for them are from their own home country, specifically right. in Korea. You know, like like they unless you're like you know Chris Evans or whatever, they don't give a fuck about American remakes. They don't, they don't give a fuck less. You know, they don't care about that shit. But also. What's more, more significantly, the opposite is becoming true. Their culture is is substantially affecting ours. Like again, like Squid Game, the number one number one TV series in the fucking world. Like that, that's that's the, the culture that kind of rising back against that kind of Western influence. And the same thing, like you know, now it's again the, the remakes are actually a part of that 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 culture seeping into ours. But so the last thing I'll say about that is, you know, people talking all this shit about, oh, we got to respect the sanctity of the Train of Busan. First of all, I bet these same motherfuckers don't even know there's, like, there's two other movies about Train of Busan. There's uh, uh, Soul Station, like a prequel kind of the re- prequel animated series that came along the same year as Train of Busan. And also the, the sequel, uh, uh, Peninsula, which was not as good. But, you know, like, like, like and so now the director, uh, has a new series on Netflix that came out just this weekend. Uh, Help them. It's like a uh, horror kind of thriller thing. So I'm like, if, if y'all want to respect his sanctity and make sure he gets his prize, why don't you, instead of crying about this fucking remake, 
use the energy to promote this fucking show, promote his works, promote all his works. If you really care about people of color getting work and, and you know, put stuff out there, then actually promote it. Don't just, otherwise, just talk a shit. You just put on airs trying to defend the sanctity of something you know nothing about. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing for me is. <laughs> Look, there's no reason we shouldn't be better. We need to be better. We need more diversity in films. We need more diversity in front and behind of the camera. Um, but we got to talk about the right things here, right? Like the idea, this idea that America is the only country that remakes stuff from other cultures. I, I was telling Liam before we started recording, I need to come up with a name for that feeling when somebody with big followers retweets you and you just know your mentions are going to be a dumpster fire <laughs> because um, Scott Mendelson, who is a writer that I, I like and is, a you know, dude knows has forgotten more about box office stuff than I will ever learn retweeted me uh, because I had tweeted out, um, you know, why does Hollywood remake everything? And then I said gestures at Korean remakes of leverage and uh, designated survivor and the good wife and criminal minds. You know, my point is, look, if we want to talk about the fact that the film industry is to a certain extent so bereft of an ability to nurture new ideas that it will just eat its own tail, recycling the same ones in the name of capitalism. That's a conversation worth having. But this idea that remakes are not a only in the not in the DNA of film. I mean, remakes have been being remade like i think about twitter in like 1957 or whenever ben hur came out if twitter existed and people being like they're remaking ben hur the fuck you know and it's like right. you know um but also yeah the idea here that this isn't it's not just all about us you know people seem to forget that the number one movie worldwide this year is the uh uh battle at lake changin you know, it's China is a massive, massive player in this now. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of just sort of the, the, the final point that I want to make on it is, is that uh, Train to Busan's not the hill to die on here, because like you both pointed out, Timo's not white. Uh, and James James Wan is an Australian Asian man. It's like, the other thing that gets left out of this is it's James Wan driving the bus on this. He's the one that hired Timo. And on top of that, motherfucker put out Malignant this year. Like, how are you not excited about a new movie from the guy that made Malignant and the guy that made The Night Comes for Us? Like, like, come on. I don't give a shit if it's a remake or not. I want to see that shit. Get that right in my eyeball. They, they yeah. would be if they actually like took the second, but they're just reacting to the headline and they're just going to keep doing that until this movie is out and made and people will shut up so again we are this is the last word on the last train to new york <laughs> it's gonna be awesome i i haven't even talked to timo about it but there's, there's one person that i have all the faith in the world for on this movie i just you know i i've gotten to know him quite a bit over the years uh we worked together on the portals anthology i saw him uh in 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 uh indonesia in uh february 2020 that was right before the whole pandemic shut everything down and um and yeah he's just he, he's the best and 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 I, I can't think of a of a filmmaker better suited to you know kind of do do this movie I, it's for all the reasons we we've stated and 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 it's going to be 
you know, everyone, you know, he's done a lot of movies. I think he's done something like six or seven movies, but you guys got to understand like the budgets in the Indonesian movies are not huge. And um, this is like just a, a colossal opportunity that could change, you know, his whole life and career. So that's another reason why what people don't understand is that you're making these kind of indie, uh, even like an action movie, indie action movie, like night comes for us or beyond skyline. It's like, I, we're not retiring off of those. It's, it's, it's good money. You can live on it for a few years while you try to get the next one up, but it's not like you're not buying a new house. So, um, the fact that, uh, you know, this thing could all of a sudden really elevate him and get such a wider audience and more opportunities, it's uh, it's a really great thing to celebrate. Which he also had another project announced this week, which we can segue out of the last train in New York to an under siege remake, which was a total <laughs> surprise. And that that was the one that for some reason when I saw the tweet, my brain went to the plot of On Deadly Ground. <laughs> I was like, they're remaking On Deadly Ground. And then I just started like cycling through what that would be in modern times and, and kind of laughing to myself. And I was like, oh, wait, no, it's the Die Hard on a Boat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Great. Can't wait to see it. You know, truth be told, I haven't seen Under Siege in like years, maybe decades now, in fact, since uh, it came first came on a cable. So yeah, I, I definitely want to like get it, see it again with fresh eyes, but because you know, it's it's considered a martial arts classic or action classic from the you know early nineties at this point. So for one, yeah, like you know, people always, you know, once again, they're always you know cry baby and about oh, the remake, remake suck or Hollywood is out of ideas. Yeah, whatever you know. It's I want to see what it does. I want to see. Because, you know, like, Under Siege is one of my, I have it listed as one of my, uh, uh, one of the best films about knife fighting in my letterbox list. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, if anybody knows how to film a fucking knife fight, it's motherfucking Timo. So, right. you know, that alone, I want to I wanna see, I want to see where this should go. Yeah, the, the only thing I really have to add is shout out to a good friend of the show, um, Larry Sternshine, who runs the Woovember account. He texted me and was like, you know, they Timo really should cast uh, Nicholas C uh, for those who don't know if you've seen raging fire or anything, because for those who don't know, Nicholas C is also a world renowned chef. Like that's what he oh, <laughs> that's yes. show in China. He's like the, the Anthony Bourdain of China. So <laughs> he wouldn't need a double for the action scenes or the cooking scenes. He could do both. <laughs> So, uh, shout out to Larry for that brilliant idea. Inspired, inspired oh, casting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's 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 transition. Unless there's anything else you guys want to say, let's transition into what we've watched this week. There weren't really. I didn't really feel like any trailers that that we need to cover. So let's just talk about what we watched this week. And I know at least a couple of us uh, jumped on Never Back Down Revolt. Uh, Vice, were you able to actually, I know Liam and I saw it, were you able to actually uh, get a chance to watch it? Yeah, yeah, I did. And um, well, first, I say off the top is that um, one of my favorite things, this is actually very related to, you know, what Liam does, is that um, one of my favorite uh, uh, enterprise, uh, my favorite uh, phenomenon in movies is when a fairly moderate or even unsuccessful feature film finds new life as a franchise on DTV, you know? And of course, you don't know about that shit. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> but, you know, in this case, so, you know, this is, uh, people may not, I think a lot of people may not even remember this movie, the original, Never Back Down. Uh, it was kind of a, uh, yes, with 20, 20, what was it from again? 
I think it's 20, 2009, I believe it was. Yeah, and it's, I, think, it's, I think it was a Screen Gems release. Yeah, it was uh, 2008. 2008. Uh, and basically, it's like uh, Friday Kid for the Fast and Furious era. It's kind of a, with, with Myth Martial Arts MMA as the, the core of what's the, the fight of the accent. Um, so, you know, it was definitely, uh, it's definitely one of those uh, of its time films. <laughs> all, all the, you know, the cheesy, the cheesy pop punk and, and, and the new metal. I can never the, say that kid's name, but I love it. It's like Cam Gigant. Was that the- <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't get it. Yeah, been- no, just for future reference, Gigan Day is the. Is it- <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, no. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I've been saying his name so badly uh, off for over a decade. Um, He's going to come get you now. <laughs> yeah, but that, you're right. It, it's like Fast and the Furious. It had like a little OC in there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Very, very like. California white boy stuff, but you, but you know, that was part of the energy of it. It's like very. I, I remember enjoying it. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I did seen it since then, but I no, remember yeah, liking I see, it. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty fun movie for what it, what it was. You know, like as far as because you know that was during the explosion of MMA, the pop culturally, you know, to masses. So it wasn't quite the preeminent MMA film. I think that's more um, of a warrior and strong Trump Hardy. Uh, that's probably the film that people go to as the MMA film. Right. But you know, it was it was a good kind of way for the the average person to get into that, that that sport um but then you know it did my it did moderately well but then it found a kind of more life on DTV with a pair of sequels uh featuring the mighty all-powerful martial arts master the black dragon michael j white um and it's uh part two which particularly was actually quite interesting because I, you can you kind of see what the uh bones of what we now see at cobra kai the uh, Karate Kid sequel series is kind of in this in this film, Never Back Down Two, uh, called the Beatdown. It's subtitled Never Back Down to the Beatdown, where it's like these uh th- this group of uh, high school kids uh trying to do this fight tournament, and they all kind of have their different reason- reasons for wanting to fight. And in this case, uh, Michael White's character, he kind of is ex con, you know, out on the street trying to live his life, becomes like their their Miyagi, their master. Yeah, that's a very fascinating kind of a uh, little little high school action film kind of thing. Um. Part three, uh, a little less successful on all fronts, I would say. It's uh, more of just uh, featuring Michael Dwight by himself. Uh, he's like a, a traveling uh, coach in, in, in Southeast Asia, and he gets uh, involved in a big uh, fight against this big, uh, you know, a big scary dude. You know, it's uh, so one of the more typical, more basic kind of uh, martial arts fight tournament films. So not quite as interesting as the uh, original or the, the, the first sequel. Well, you know, there's some good fights to be good action to be had in there. So, if you're a fan of, if, if you would follow the series that far up to that point, you'd probably be okay with it. Or if you're just a White fan in general. So, now we have this year comes out, uh, Never Back Down Revolt, which is kind of strangely enough, not really related at all to any of the previous sequels. <laughs> it's kind of a sequel in name only. But, you know, like I said, like that's kind of part of the fun of these, these franchises. Like, they can. Uh, oh, a similar example uh, was the uh, Marine films. And, you know, our friend uh, James Nunn, who was in the, mo- the most recent sequels. But, like, in that case, uh, the first one starring John Cena, you know, kind of a big, kind of, uh, big hefty action, you know, muscle-down action kind of film. Then it started a series of other WWE wrestlers, right, because he was, at the time, a WWE wrestler. So that was that was pretty much the theme of the of the Marine, was it's a wrestler as a Marine. That's all. That, that was the only connection. Uh, so, so what what else up, do you need? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they ended up kind of making their own their own like kind of mythology out of out of the, the characters. So a sequel not being related to the previous movies isn't 
and if there's a, a death knell or a bad thing, it's just kind of nature of the beast. So we have here, Never Back Down Revolt. Uh, interesting premise, uh, women being trafficked for fighting as opposed to, to you know sex trafficking, which is kind of the, the predominant uh, criminal activity in the world, you know. Um, although there is much of that as well, too. But uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, these, uh, about the woman who, uh, a Chechen woman, uh, a refugee escaping war, and now she's kind of thrown into this uh, underground uh, uh, cage match uh, uh, and has to fight for her life. So, you know, pretty straightforward premise. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty simple standard fare as far as DTV movies go. But I will say there is my I enjoyed that there was actually a few brutal moments of actual violence. And look at hurt because it features um oh features uh Michael Bisping, you know, a former UFC champion, as one of the main bad guys, and he definitely he definitely seems to have fun being an asshole, which he kind of doesn't really like to. <laughs> he always did. He was was kind of always always a heel in a way of, in UFC, and he translates that. He's he's been in several movies over over the past few years as well. So he, he he translates that that heel energy to movies quite well, and so I enjoyed his turn as like you know the, the big bully, uh, lording over this these these uh this uh den of captured women trying to fight for their lives. That definitely probably was the strongest the strongest element of the film that I saw. So well, it was uh their interplay. Um, but yeah, I I saw I guess I you know overall I I uh I I appreciated the movie. Uh, you know. I, that- it, it, That's it's, nice. Yeah, it, it starts. It starts <laughs> a little rough, but you know, I, by the end, I was like, I, I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad. I'm, you know, I'm glad I just. I'm glad that the Never Back Down saga continues in some form for fashion. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad I watched it. I, I, I ended up having a good time overall. I would just want to tell people that if you're watching the first two minutes and you notice like the actual first lines of dialogue are about the veins in the penis and <laughs> the ball sack. <laughs> That you just rest assured that exposition will pay off. Check you're off. just not, yeah, you're just not being taught that. It does Check, pay off. Off. <laughs> Check, Check off Balsack. <laughs> Check off's Van Deferens or whatever. I was just I had to stop in my notes and write owners and blood in my notes when I saw that because I was like, I can't like it is literally, I think, the first lines of dialogue in the movie yep. is just yep. about if how I, the blood gets to the penis. If you were one of those podcasts where like I titled the episodes based on something that came out in the episode. This episode's title is 100% Chekhov's Vaz Def. But to, to go back into the movie, I, I too, uh, I appreciated it um, on a couple different levels that, um, you know, I think, I think from, because it's written and directed by by women, I think you're seeing a slightly different point of view on the prisoner dynamics. You know, um, once our hero Anya gets kind of brought into this fighting ring and she has to go against Jaya, who's kind of the the leader, you could see how if this were a, um, you know, a version of uh, Undisputed, they would be fucking enemies and be busting each other's balls all the way until the end when they team up but they definitely approach the conflict between the female characters in a more grounded way. And it's just different than I think the way that it doesn't have the male gaze and it doesn't really have the male point of view. And I think that's what, what is kind of something to, to consider when you're watching it, why things might not uh, feel as familiar to you. It, it's kind of been 
executed from a different point of view. It doesn't mean that one's better or worse than the other, but you know, it can be jarring if you're just used to watching these same kind of formulas over and over again, because it is very much a formula film. But I do want to talk about Bisping because uh, in, in Bisping and, and another actor in it, because it, I think it's this kind of interesting thing that you, as a filmmaker, you do kind of have to do your homework about who you're casting because there are going to create expectations and you want to manage that. Um, for Skylines, um, I met with Bisping. Uh, there was an earlier version of the script that had an extra character. And it was um, the, in, in the script, there's the Eastern European character, Alexei, but that was actually a man that was uh, a Russian named Alexei. And there was a, his girlfriend's name was Naomi, who is like Israeli uh, soldier. So we had an extra person. And then that first um, sequence where they meet the aliens, Alexei, like he got his head fucking smashed and ripped open by an alien. And that's what really kicked the whole fight off. And then Naomi died at the end. Now it was because of budget of just actually like the amount of actors that we could hire and also the, the, the cost of suits and hotels and everything. I was told you have to crunch that down into one character. But early on, I met with Bisping. We had a, a dinner and uh, I, I can't recommend him higher as a, as a dinner guest, really <laughs> entertaining. And I'm not like the, you know, the world's biggest MMA expert. So I could just kind of ask him, you know, very general questions I really enjoyed being like, wait, so you're like this guy, like you're kind of like competing with Joe Rogan now, but you actually did it. And he had a big grin kind of go across his face. <laughs> and um, he didn't tell me at the time that he had lost his right eye because we could have we could have uh, traded notes on that because I lost sight in my right eye when I was like four or five years old from an optic nerve glioma. Not as cool as his story, which he literally got his eyeball like punched to death out of his face. Wow. And now he has this really kind of cool, uh, you know, glass eye that's, that he puts in. And, uh, it's really interesting from my point of view when I'm watching, because I'm always watching it, but he's so like left eye dominant yeah. that you don't notice it. You kind of go to what his good eye is and he pulls you through the scenes. And I really think he's a great actor and, um, I'd like to see him in, in different types of roles. He's kind of only been cast as bad guys in like triple threat and, uh, return of Xander cage and this, and, um, so, it, it, but, but one of the things what I thought about is if I had put him in that Alexi role, it would, I would have fucked up because he didn't have a scene that gave you what Michael Bisping does. Like if you're going to cast him in this role, give him a scene where he fucking, you know, gives fans of him what they expect. And I think um, a lot of people say to me like, oh, how come, you know, you got in, in your movies, you, you kind of you were able to use Eco and Yayan correctly, whereas a lot of Western people will cast them in their movies and they don't really use them correctly. It's like, well, you got to do your homework. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to cast that guy in a role, not where he's not going to be able to show you what his skills are or give you some type of flavor of of what they can do um, just as a fan of them. Uh, and, and also trying to make the, the movies like deliver for, for the people that I, I want each actor to come in and, and kind of put their best foot forward and, 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 and be proud of it. And so one of the things in this is like, I, I think Hannah Al-Rashid is, is a fantastic actress. Um, she's Indonesian. She was in The Night Comes For Us, has the best fight, you know, maybe in that movie with uh, Julia Stell. And she's just kind of cast as like one of the girls in this. And they don't give her this really showpiece fight and that's one of those mistakes now whether that was from budget and they had to edit it out i'm not saying i don't know 
but I had, I faced those pressures on beyond skyline where I had big brain CAA people and financiers saying, you should cut that fight with eco and this guy, you know, you should trim this fight there. And I just would say, absolutely not. Like I'm going to fucking go to the mat. And and if I did cut something, I would sneak it back in after they had left the edit bay. (laughs) So uh, you kind of have to like protect yourself, protect your cast. And um, if you're going to cast someone from these other things, like know that your key audience is aware of their history and wants to see them, you know, in their best light. You may not always have time for it, but like even just giving Rona Mitra like a, a, a minute scene to do wield like pistols, it gives people like that are fans of Rona Mitra. That's kind of what you want to see. Uh, you want to see her in a leather tank top with do wielding pistols. And thank you so much for that. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> So really quick, I have to interject this story um, because, I, and then I'll let you get back to it. Leo. No, that was it. That was it. That was the end thesis was <laughs> put, 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 put Rona Mitra in a leather tank top and let her do wheel. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. I, I was like sitting there waiting for Hannah to have uh, a really awesome fight. And, um, you know, that's just one of those things that you could uh, think about as a, as an independent filmmaker and, and when you're in that casting process to, you know, give, give people what they're, uh, what they're coming for. So as we always joke, you guys talk about something and I come in and I'm like, I'm the world's biggest fan of this. Right. Well, I actually am the world's biggest fan of fucking never back down. And part of it is because of Ron Mitra. So let me explain one of my greatest movie going days ever in my life. Never Back Down and Neil Marshall's Doomsday came out on the uh, same day. And I wow, I double featured <laughs> all of them. And that was one, that was just a glorious day. I mean, I understand all the problems with Never Back Down. I don't give a shit. Like, I, I watched that movie and it takes me back to that day. I watched that, you know, Doomsday is my favorite. No offense, Liam. Doomsday is my favorite Rona Mitra performance. Like, <laughs> She's a lead. It's of course. Yeah. Unreal in that movie. Um, But also, you know, Vice, you mentioned a bunch of stuff about Never Back Down. Like one thing that people don't may not realize is the choreography was by Damon Caro and Jonathan uh, Eusebio. Like this is an 8711 movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In Never Back Down 2 was by fucking Larnell Stovall. Mm-hmm. Like yep. they are legit action movies they're fun they're entertaining um i love them i also love the like whole yes the dtv thing how it changes to something else Vern, in his out the great outlaw Vern, in his review of never back down revolt talked about how much he loves that too um so i was going into this one with pretty high expectations um here's the thing i think the biggest problem with this movie is uh, and I tweeted this because I also just watched Shang-Chi and we've talked about it. So I don't want to I'm not going to get into my thoughts on Shang-Chi other than I was struck by the fact that I feel like Shang-Chi had entirely too much money. And so they were forced to put in Marvel stuff, regardless of whether that was the best thing for the movie or not. And Never Back Down Revolt had no fucking money. I mean, this movie. Right had to be a two million dollar budget tops like it, it had no it's problem. less i'd say yeah and and and, and so that most of the problems that i have with the movie i sort of feel like 
are a factor of budget because I've seen Kelly Madison's short, The Gate, which stars the great Amy Johnston. And it's really entertaining. It's it's Amy Johnston and uh, CSEP uh, from The Raid 2. Great, great guy, yeah. The shit out of each other for like 20 <laughs> minutes. Um, and it's great. And it has all the things. The shots are good. Everything's good. You know, here the edits are pretty rough uh tim mann and csep do the choreography but it, you don't really see it and i think that's a function i i don't know this but i think that's a function of budget because they didn't have the time or the money to hire the people that could pull off the choreography they didn't have the time or money to let tim and csep do their work do what they needed to um because i think the fights in this are they're not great. Um, no, but in exactly what you said, it, it is about time. It is like, you know, if the movie's, if the movie's really low budget, it's like people are showing up and they're lucky to get three days of rehearsals on uh, with the fights. And it's like, we're going to shoot. They don't even have the money to, you know, put everybody up in the hotels. It's a little bit like I was saying on Skylines, where it's like, the actual budgetary concerns were like, we can't build another one of these fucking space outfits and we can't afford all of this. So take a character out, um, you know, actually having the time to rehearse is a luxury. And so, yeah, if you have complicated choreography like this um, and, and, and you have people that are, you know, maybe being cast because they're somewhere in between athletic and a, a good actor, it's, it's, it's really, really difficult. Yeah, it speaks to like, you know, the, the fact that we have things like Scott Atkins films, which, you know, he's going record. Of course, you know, Mike knows this very, very well. He is the record, how limited budget and time he has. But of course, he's Scott Atkins. He has that background with the Jackie Chan stuff team with Hong Kong action films where they film stuff on the fly that day, that to go. So he has, he has a rare gift and ability and experience to kind of only have, you know, two days or one, a few hours to film a fight scene and pull it off. Whereas, you know, that's, that's, that's a rarity, really. You know, and only you know, a few people like, I don't know, I, I would assume people like, you know, like Daniel Bernhardt have similar uh, gifts. Yeah, it, but that's like the Picasso argument. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, it took me 15 minutes to paint this because I, you know, the 15 years of work. So it's like yeah. exactly with, with yeah. Daniel and, and Cha, like on their fight scene and Skylines, it was like, you know, they, they, they like put it together the night before and they're just going through it. Like everything was like a three move thing per shot, move to the next shot. And these guys are just, you know, experts. So, yeah. So like, as I was watching, I think I, I like the fight a little more than Mike did, but so I don't, I, I don't want to like trash the actors as being like, you know, shitty martial artists, you know, because actually I was looking through some, some of the actors here. Uh, one of the, uh, Neetu Chandra, she's an uh, Indian actress, uh, is one of the uh, one of the, 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 the one of the leaders in, in uh, the mm-hmm. women crew, and she's a she's a, a legit taekwondo player. You know, like these aren't you know bums off the street. They actually have some acumen. So that I, I I you know I saw I just saw a few clips of her. You know, like she you know she has skills. So yeah, but like uh, the thing what you mean is like the budget, as in like the resources to get a better product that can really hinder hinder stuff. You know, it's like like it's. And it's just an unfortunate reality of the kind of DTV world, I guess, that, you know, you, you have these great ideas, but you can't, you just can't literally or logistically pull them off all the way. So, you know, so that's why I, I appreciate, you know, the effort and time. Because as, as Liam mentioned, the, the, the way the, the energy of the film, like the the way the, you know, it's this part, like the those are kind of uh, infamous uh, women prison films, you know, like uh, the, 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 the trashy kind of 70s stuff. But it's not quite that because there's actually a lot of heart to it too. Like, 
they yes. you, you feel them trying to get this actual emotion and uh particularly uh between the uh, at one point two characters they're they're apparently lovers i guess and then like they have a you know really uh sad scene together and so like i appreciate the ex- the effort and all this kind of you know it's a fight movie about the women being trafficked to do mma which sounds preposterous but in, in all in all that they have this actual tender moment that they're trying to like to get you to care and, and I, I did you know i thought those yeah so it was like this kind of the the game of trying to balance your intent with your how you can execute it you know sometimes it doesn't always work but you know i just always appreciate the effort nonetheless so that, I, that was my biggest takeaway from uh hearing a revolt yeah that that's the thing for me is i look at it and i go man they had to have I would guess, and Liam, you might know better, but I'm guessing 21 day shooting schedule at best, at best, mm-hmm. probably seems like, yeah. sort of like 16. Um, and, and I just think if they had, you know, I had tweeted this out last night after watching Shang-Chi that like, I really wish there was a market for the 20 to $30 million martial arts movie. And, and somebody responded to me and was like, well, you don't need that big of a budget to make a great martial arts movie. Look at the night comes for us and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. I've seen those. But the thing is that I always think about is it's the time. It's the time. Yeah. yeah. No, night comes for us is because of Indonesian, you know, like that. It was, I think it was 5 million, but like, I think they shot for 78 days, which is insane. And that's exactly it. It's the time. It's Same not. As- Raid two was like a six month shoot. I don't know if people know that. Like it, they shot a ton. They, I think, uh, Yayan in that nightclub scene was like a two week shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was a ton of time. That, um, uh, that's the big story, right? The Jackie Chan Drunken Master two fight, which is arguably the greatest martial arts fight of all time, was I think a month for one fucking fight scene. Yeah. And and we're expecting people to, you know, to crank these out in a day or two. You know, yep. that, that's for me. It's not I don't want a higher budget so that they can do more CGI or even have fancier sets. I just want them to have the time that they can say, we're going to get the actors up to speed. We're going to make sure the choreographers have all the time they need to, to do this stuff. And we're going to have all the time we need to shoot and edit it and, and get the the coverage and the the everything that we need that's that's just all I want. It's everything. Like, what is the what is the budget for the Ip Man movies? I think that might also be like kind of the only other one I can think of that's probably in that fifteen to twenty range. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I tried to actually find it. I was actually looking it up today, specifically Ip Man, and I couldn't find it. But I do know that talking to Scott you know, when he was on it, man, four, they, they had uh, more time than let's say he was typically, I think they spent like over a week shooting his fight with Donnie at the end of that movie, you wow. know, whereas like his fight with Marco in undisputed three, they shot in two days, I think two wow. or three days, his fight with, um, Kane Kasugi and Ninja two was a two day, was a two day shoot. Um, you know, and, and I mean, again, Scott, like you said, Vice, thank you for calling me the record on that. I appreciate <laughs> that. But, you know, Scott is, I mean, these are high level, the best of the best, the cream of the crop, right? Um, you know, you're, you're talking, working with Tim Mann and Ken Kasugi and Scott Adkins. Well, Never Back Down isn't that. They, they, they are, the actresses all have experience, but they're not, 
20 year vets of the industry. And uh, so, yeah, for me, every problem, almost every problem I have with never back down revolt is a function of budget and the time that they had to make the movie. I will say the best compliment I can give it is that I want to see what Kelly Madsen does next. I will absolutely watch whatever her next movie is because I love Liam that you did bring up the, the lens through which we're watching this movie is uh, very different. You know, one of my favorite movies of the last five years is a, a French movie, uh, Coralie Farge's Revenge, uh, which is the same thing. It's a standard, you know, at its core, it's a standard rape revenge fantasy, but it's a movie, but it's shot through such a different lens. And it's just so much more kick-ass and so much less ooky than, you know, these movies typically can be. Um so I'm excited to see where uh, where Kelly goes next. Uh, and also, you know, I, I hope she brings uh, Audrey Arkins is the writer. I hope she brings her along. I want to see that next movie. This one was a little bit of a miss for me, but I'm still I'm still all in on the people that made the movie. So you know, yeah. a shout out to my uh, composer, Ram, who did the, the music on this. He did uh, Skylines and, and, and some stuff for Beyond Skyline Portals. And um, he's always kind of, he, he kept the momentum up uh, on the score. And so he's cranking out great work. Uh, so with that, let's talk about uh, another movie that's coming out this week that I think I'm the only person that saw. Uh, so I'll just talk quickly about it. Cause it was this cool kind of like BAFTA advanced screening that uh, my friend Barrett got in- invited us to. And it is Halle Berry's bruised, which is premiering on Netflix this week. And she actually directed it. And um, she came out after the movie ended for a little Q&A. And it's, it, 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 you know, the people talk about movie stars and that like stardust. It was like everyone in the room just kind of like turned <laughs> up and like leaned forward. She looks incredible. Uh, she oh had us God. all in the palm of our hands. And she said uh, one of the great things and I took a photo of her as she was saying this was that, you know, she had... Um, she'd been kind of hunting the script down for a while and she kept, you know, wanting to have this mix between the drama, but also do real intense fighting. And every filmmaker she talked to was kind of either more into the fighting or more into the drama. And um, one of her collaborators that I can't remember if it was the writer or producer said, suggested that she just direct it. And she said, uh, what are you smoking? I want some. And kind of like did that whole, like right to, right to the audience. We all just melted. And, um, and I, I, I think if you go in, you know, thinking more about Rocky one than Rocky four, you're going to understand what this is. It is a, a mix of the drama. Um, you know, I think a lot of people forget that Rocky one is first and foremost, uh, you know, a drama. It is not uh, it, it's it's kind of like a sports movie in the last bit of it. But you have a lot of this bum bouncer walking around smoking cigarettes and uh, slice of life. Uh, stuff. And so, you know, she really, I think, embraced that part of the story. But I do think the fighting is quite legit. Um, I saw, you know, um, Chad, I think Chad Selecki's name in the credits. I I think there, you know, you have uh, Basil Awanek and Thunder Road producing, you know, do the John Wick films. Um, So the they said they had five days for the end fight in this and it looked it i thought it was it, it, it about halfway through i thought it was over and then it kind of transcended that so i i i think if you enjoy mma um 
and you enjoy seeing, you know, actors really putting the work in and where she is in her career and her age, some of the stuff she does in this movie, I think is, uh, is pretty inspirational. And um, that, again, we talked about formula, like that underdog fucking formula just always works for me. And I, 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 you can have problems with the rest of the movie, but if it's like warrior, um, you know, the fighter, that that third act fight if you have that moment where it's like you you can't quit thing i just i start fucking getting like choked up and and the tears come into my eyes and i'm like nah, do it so um you know i think i think it, it it it's definitely uh you know worth the watch on netflix and um you know no going in that yes it's yes it's a little melodramatic but that, that's, I think, keeping in true to the genre itself. And, I, and she talked about that, you know, that she had, she was making a movie that's been in the genre that some of the best filmmakers of all time have made, you know, from Raging Bull to Rocky. And that she, she really kind of sunk her teeth in and, um, you know, hats off to her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm also very looking forward to this. And one thing I noticed is that um, as far as the promotion goes, uh, I think the soundtrack for the film. It's uh, featuring all female artists, all you know, rappers and R&B stars. That's a really, such a really cool thing that you know she's um, uh, Halle Berry. Yeah, it is. I don't want to. I don't want to get too much of this right now. I'll save this for when we see the movie. But you know, just uh, it has a very distinct identity. Uh, she's not quite. She's not a TV specialist. She's not like the premier black actress of serious drama. Like she's her own kind of vibe. You know, and she's and, and, I, and so like in 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 the, in the promotions for this movie uh, on social media, she's. He has these uh, fun interviews with the uh, rappers on his contract, like uh, Cardi B, you know, me. And it's just a fun vibe, like, you know, to just like having a good time being a movie star and like just like, being entertaining. And so I'm, I'm, that's, I hope that feeling comes off in the movie because, like, yeah, I, I'm definitely in the back of it. And I think that, yeah, she's, you know, having it's just good to see her again and be being herself, being her own energy, putting, putting herself out in the world. So I'm looking forward to this a whole bunch. Yeah. Yeah. She did talk about the, that in the QA and that she, she went to Cardi and, and she, didn't know if she was going to be into it, but it was like, yeah, this is the first time it's all, it's not just women artists, but it's like women producers. It's just like yeah. no yeah. minute had anything to do with any of the songs, which is uh, a really cool thing. And, and it's funny. I, I forgot about this one moment about the male lens thing that we're talking about. She like basically doesn't wear makeup the whole movie. And then they cut to her like in, in a pre-fight thing towards the end. And they, she just didn't make a big deal of it, but all of a sudden she's Halle Berry again. And like, I was like, if I'm directing it, I'm like doing a slow pan up to this reveal to be like, like oh, there she is. The queen is back. You didn't know. You didn't know. But like, it's just funny. The female lens is just like, it was just nonchalant. Just like here she came in with the makeup and uh, you know, it's, hey, we're different. But, uh, you know, as soon as she came in the room, it was just it was very exciting for uh, for uh, men of a certain ilk. So um, that is, that is those fun things to think about, you know, how we see the world differently. And and, um, and and it's it's one of those things that you celebrate when, you know, new people step behind the camera. Well, and I I'm too. I'm looking forward to this. You know, we talked about it last week and. I thought that Vice and I would be able to see it, but it, it turns out that we were off by when its release was. But I am all in on this one because I also, after we talked about it, I went to her social media and looked at the behind the scenes stuff that she was posting of her training for the movie. And one of the things that Scott and I always talked about was actors who are willing to do the work versus actors who are not. And holy fuck, there ain't no question Hallie put the work in. Like she did 
the work uh, for this. And so, you know, and again, like you said, Liam, she's she's a queen. So like like she's I'm why would I not want to watch a movie where she's an MMA fighter like that? Like seems like it was the same thing again, not to bring it back to Shang-Chi, but it was like the same thing you know, when Michelle Yeoh finally showed up and I'm just like, God, yes. Like, <laughs> Michelle Yeoh shows up in a movie. I'm just like, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Hopefully, you know, next week or the week after we'll be able to kind of have a more in-depth discussion about it, but uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Great. And uh, so the other movies that we were going to talk about is uh, speaking, I guess we'll stick with the bruised into the, I, I, I brought up a lot of Rocky one. Uh, Mike, you got to watch Rocky for the director's cut. Yeah, I did. Um, and I'm just going to say, you know, there's not a really a ton of stuff to say about it. For those who don't know, Stallone recut Rocky four. He cut out 40 minutes of footage and added 40 minutes of different footage. So it runs almost the exact same length as the original Rocky four. Some of the stuff he added back in is really good. Uh, some of the stuff he took out is really missed. Um, what he tried to do, I think is make it a Creed prequel, you know, Creed hmm. so obviously tied into Rocky four, but they were so tonally different. He wanted to try and turn Rocky four into a movie that feels more logically like the movie that would lead to Creed two. Um, but the problem is, is it's still Rocky four. So it's still got <laughs> all the montage. And I love Rocky four, but it's still got all the montages. Right. It's still got John Cafferty singing hearts on fire, you know? Um, and so it's really tonally discordant. It, it doesn't, jive with itself it's kind of a war with itself um i think i said on another podcast i'm not sure who this is for because i think people who are rocky four fans aren't necessarily going to like all the changes and people who aren't rocky four fans it's not a different enough movie for them to like have a change of opinion on it I think it's fascinating. I think it's worth watching. I think it would make a wonderful like supplemental Blu-ray feature kind of thing. Um, but for me, I'm going to stick with the original if I go back and rewatch it. I'm glad I saw it. I bought it on Vudu. I don't regret the 15 bucks I spent on it. I, I certainly got $15 worth of joy out of watching it. Um, I will say our boy uh, Dolph is... Dolph is treated much better. He gets a much better character. Uh, Stallone cuts Brigitte Nielsen almost entirely out of the movie. So I don't know if there's still bad blood there. <laughs> like if, if this, uh, I, th I think, I think the actions answered your question. Yeah. <laughs> later revenge, but um, everybody listening should at least check it out. Maybe don't feel like you have to pay 15 bucks for it. Um, I, I think it's going to be on Hulu. I think it's going to be a Hulu exclusive, maybe wait until that and check it out. Um, but it's not one that I feel like you need to rush out to see. Yeah. I wasn't able to see the movie. Yeah. Obviously of course. Yeah. But um, I did see some of the, the, uh, this actually, I think it's on YouTube for free, the uh, making of, and actually, and actually entirely recorded documentary about still making the movie. That shit is fascinating, man. That's like, just, just to see him, because he obviously, obviously has this wealth of knowledge and experience about filmmaking, but it's also just him like kind of like 
pontificating and bloviating too. It's, it's like, but you know, he's too low. Like he can do that. But like that's that's, that's why he's slow. He's like he's such a weird dude like that. Like he, people even to this day, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to pin down. You know, like he has he has all these you know like even the way he makes his Rocky and his two big you know career makers Rocky Rambo like he or this first blood there's so much thought and depth behind it to his eyes but it comes off as it's like these dumbass fucking movies people and it's it's a fast a fascinating thing so yeah if if not seeing Rocky for the the redux <laughs> check out that that a few minutes of that the YouTube uh, the documentary that, that's 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 some actual real fascinating film shit right there yeah, that documentary is better than the movie. That, doc- <laughs> that documentary is incredible. It's the same. It's kind of the same, even though I like the first Expendables. If you haven't watched the documentary that's on the Blu-ray of the first Expendables movie about making the Expendables, man, that shit is gold. That is a fantastic behind-the-scenes documentary. I gotta see um, that. Yeah, and you know, because Stallone talks about how that movie almost killed him. That's why he didn't direct the other two because he. Um, well, didn't Steve Austin almost kill him? That was it. Yeah, that was that was. <laughs> <laughs> he was spread too thin, and uh, kind of he and Austin like fucked up a spot, and yeah, basically almost paralyzed Stallone. Uh, I, I heard Austin just dropped him and then walked away too. <laughs> It wasn't, wasn't even like, hey, checked on him. He's like, and then, and then oh, also you're bad. came back and shook up a beer and then spilled it all. <laughs> went and looked at Gary Daniels and went, can I get a hell yeah? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, there, I would, uh, one, one thing I was going to say um, was that uh, there's a great review from Jeremy Smith, who's uh, at Mr. Beaks on, on Twitter. He's uh, kind of one of the OG guys. It's always a, a good read. And he actually thinks that the movie's gearing up for Stallone to make a Drago movie. And I thought that was pretty fascinating because, you know, it seems like he had some type of split with the Creed guys. Cause like he, you know, he, he, he's always going to want to take control. It's just the nature of Stallone. And that that's kind of like you were saying vice about what you, he's just a, he's a weird guy and he's a fascinating guy. And he seems to be constantly at war with himself and with success. And when things go well, his movies seem to go down and when he's kind of pushed into a corner, he gets back to basics and he makes these awesome movies like Rambo four and, and Rocky Balboa. And um, the, uh, one of the editors on beyond skyline, um, Scott Albertson, he edited those two movies. And so I would, I was over his house and I was just constantly asking him Stallone questions to get the posters (laughs) on the wall. And I was like, He's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. You know, you're, you're kind of, you're the punching bag and he's got to punch things, you know, to get through this edit. And we're just constantly in the sparring match. And I was like, did he say that he invented the montage? And he's like, of course he says that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, he kind of did though. Like he could not not invented it, but he kind of did like, you know, move it into a, he's a a Steve jobs of a montage. He didn't create it, but he 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 didn't create the the smartphone, but (laughs) made the masterpiece. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, I I started watching that documentary and and I really enjoyed it. And um, I'll I'll definitely check that out. But I I think that would be amazing if he ended up doing a movie that is about Dolph and uh, hopefully Dolph's son, uh, uh, Florian, uh, I, I'm not going to butcher his last name, but uh, I thought he was pretty cool in, in, in Creed 2 and had a little bit part in Shang-Chi. But uh, he's he's definitely like an action guy that I've got uh, my eyes on to see in, in things in the future. So, yeah, looking forward to that one. 
All right. And then I guess kind of we're, we are running a little long, so we'll try and do this last bit pretty quick. Um, Vice and I, Vice has been championing these movies for months. Um, and I finally saw them this week. Liam, I know you watched at least part of the first one. Uh, so yeah, action fans listening, The Fable and The Fable to the Killer Who Doesn't Kill dropped on Netflix this week. And God damn, Vice, you did not lead me astray on those, my friend. <laughs> Some of the best action movies in years. Then Fable 2, let y'all know, listen now, spread the word, one of the best action movies in 2021. I know y'all also hyped up Raging Fire, which you should be, but don't fucking sleep on Fable 2. This is like when, when you're all y'all... Your red list come down. Don't forget about this shit. I right, wait. I right, so let me back up. Let me back up. Let me, back up. Let me rewind because I got excited again. Sorry. <laughs> so all right. So the fable. It's a Japanese uh, movie uh, based on a popular manga. You know the comic books to call in Japan. Um, and it's basically kind of like if Denzel's Equalizer movies were also slapstick, slapstick comedies. There's a lot of like you know there's this absurd humor and and, and definitely humor too. Is that but also like really like intense like emo- like drama too. Because, you know, that's, that's kind of the vibe of manga, the way Japanese, you know, fiction works. They had the kind of peaks and valleys of this stuff. And all drama and action. But, you know, but in between all that, it's this top-tier action choreography and, and, and framing and stuff. Like, there's a, and um, I, I posted a few scenes on, on, on my Twitter feed. Uh, one was from the first film, which is more of a comedic event, where, uh, so the, the, the whole gist is that the, he's, a, he's a legendary uh, Yakuza hitman, you know, the, a fable, as they call him. Um, but he has to go into hiding uh, to uh, you know keep the you know keep to lay low. So he has to pretend that he's not a legendary killer whenever he's like encountering people. So one scene is that in the first film, he's uh, these two ruffians kind of accost him on the street, but he, he you know he sees right he sees right through them literally. That's like kind of his power. He's like a like, like how again like how Denzel and Equalizer has like that kind of a neurotypical. I, I don't know. I don't want to say it's the uh, ADHD the superpower kind of thing because I don't think it's quite that. But he's definitely had his mind is it works differently, so he can see through people kind of like that. So he's gonna he's he's as the goons are punching him, he's thinking in his mind on the fly. I'm gonna avoid his punch. That's it. Then hurt his arm, so he can't be back. Like he's it's so absurd, but like it's all. And the actor, the main actor, tells it so well. This kind of going between this dead serious stone cold killer stuff, but also he's he's a, he's a goofball too, his own way. So yeah, these are like, is a whole bunch of fun and humor. Top of this seriously badass action movies, action sequences, uh, particularly in part two. I think uh, some people who I, who I follow who also seen both from now, you know, they, I guess kind of it's up in the air which one you prefer, but uh, part two, I think definitely uh, one of the other scenes I highlighted um, from this year, or well, from Fable Part Two that came out this year, is a really cool uh, sequence on the scaffolding where he has, like, he has to infiltrate this building and like fight off these waves of goons. And, you know, we talked about Shang-Chi. I think for sure this beats the hell out of that particular scaffolding scene by a large margin. Because again, it's not about with they had all that money and all that CGI to do whatever they want to do. That's 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 fun. That's that, that's how the Marvel works. But to see what these guys did with just you know this, to, you can see this the timing and the the planning and the getting it just right. The cuts, it's all perfect. It's a perfect piece. So yeah, uh, I'll just I'll just say all that. That this is, don't miss. Don't sleep on the movies. Fable, Fable Two, get them now on Netflix. You gotta watch. You gotta check it out. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. I have some, I have some, com, you know, some 
criticisms about the movies. I'm not going to even really spend any time on them because uh, the criticisms, because I, I don't want to dissuade people from watching these. Um, some of the humor didn't hit. I think the first one's a little too long. It's a little shaggy in its running time, especially in the second act. But when the action kicks in, fuck me. Jesus Christ, it's good. Um, our friend of the show, Genre Film Addict on Twitter, uh, tweeted out he said is it wrong to call these any kenshin with guns because again that's that's one of the points is he can't kill he's been ordered not to kill anybody uh so he has to go through all these action scenes uh without killing anybody uh you know he creates these non-lethal bullets and stuff but it just it, it opens a whole different world for the action that you don't get necessarily from something like John Wick, which I love, where he's just headshotting fools for the whole movie. Like, this is totally different. He's got a kneecap, guys, and they get back up because he can't kill them, you know? And so there's all these scenes where he's just destroying people, but because he can't kill them, they get back up, and he's got to destroy them again, you know? And it, it it's... And uh, so uh, Junichi Okada is the guy that plays... Um, Akira, the the fable, and he so deftly balances the comedy, the drama, the action. Like it is a massively impressive performance that he's doing. Um, I think I tend to side with the people who like the first one more um, because the second one does just content warning for people. The second one goes into a much darker direction. It's still a lighthearted action movie, but the plot is involving human trafficking and, and there's some really upsetting scenes in it. Um, whereas the first one's a lot more like Yakuza shenanigans uh, that I think is, is more fun. Um, and it also has as the, the main bad guy, my boy Soto Fukushi, who is Kamen Rider Forzy. For people that know me, I'm a massive Kamen Rider fan. He's my favorite writer. So when he showed up, I was, I was like, I just, I was bouncing off the walls. So yeah, the fable and fable two on Netflix, like this gets the Mike and vice recommendation, like rock solid. You guys need to fucking check these out. And Liam, I know you only saw part of it, but what did you think of what you saw? Yeah. I, I, I watched like the first half of the first one. I put it on to kind of get all the kids out, out of the TV room and scare them away. But I really liked the, um, you know, the, 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 the graphic overlay in that opening shootout sequence. And my, my wife was like, this is too violent for the kids. It's like, oh, no, let's get the graphics on it. It's cute. And <laughs> and it was sort of that is sort of the John Wick um, sequence that you guys were talking about. And then, um, you know, I settled in. Uh, I, I, I think that some of the humor with the he doesn't like hot food for whatever reason, that that really worked for me. <laughs> um, and, and like Vice said, the, you know, where he's kind of doing the slow mo and uh, with those battles. And it's just kind of uh, it, it's always great when when you know, the, the timeline gets loud enough about certain movies and, and you kind of, you know, go and check what's going on in this genre, in this country that I have not been keeping up with. And um, yeah, I, I felt like it's um, a, a really interesting balance of the tones of, of, of comedy and action. And, uh, and it's all kind of uh, anchored by a great lead performance. So I'm going to check the, the rest of them out this week. And, uh, and yeah, glad, I'm glad you guys recommended them. Well, that one was all vice. He's been he's been like loud and proud about these movies. And it 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 finally. Yeah. Like I as soon as they dropped on Netflix, I was like, well, my 
my man's never steered me wrong before. So. <laughs> and, and that's part of the thing. Like, uh, I, I, for me specifically, I've seen both of these uh, here in New York. Is the uh, New York Asian Film Festival every year during the summertime. I think one of the best film festivals in the world, at least definitely in New York. And that's, it's given me over the past few years the privilege to see these, you know, sometimes there were, you know, international premieres of these films from all over, all over Asia um, that people, and the, and the issue is that for so many other, so many of these films, they're fantastic, but they never get any kind of distribution passed out of Asia other than these festivals. So I was over the moon to have to, to see both the films that I saw, you know, years apart right now together here for everybody to enjoy at home. Anyway, again, I always carp on this, like, you know, yeah, Netflix and streaming services and media companies, there are these, you know, evil overlords, but like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to take the good parts from what I can from them. And in this case, it's having this world-class international cinema available at your fingertips. Like, this is a, this is a great treat, uh, you know, a great uh, you know, privilege that people should take advantage of, you know, because it's, it's there for you to, to enjoy. Yeah, I mean, Netflix brought my beloved high and low, which I have not yeah. shut up about for years. You know, those are, those movies are on like for all the problems with Netflix, like what they are bringing over for international cinema is you got to You got to You got to give them a hat tip for that, at least. And I'm sure there's some algorithm that they're figuring out a way that these are, but nonetheless, you can fucking watch the fable and you can watch high and low by clicking a couple of buttons on your Roku remote. And as a kid who grew up a Hong Kong cinema fan where I had to like go to shady parts of town to buy bootlegs and stuff like that, you know, like that idea is mind blowingly awesome. Yeah. yeah. We have the world, man. It's crazy. Well, I guess we are, we're running long. I know I haven't really done an inside baseball segment on it. Um, I don't really have any, big updates on the sniper movie uh anyone who works in this industry knows there's nothing more infuriating than trying to get things done around the holidays because people in positions of power have way better vacation schedules than you and <laughs> every time you send something out it's uh you know, oh yeah, yeah and then let's set the meeting for friday and then push to monday and uh it's part of the the madness of of this uh, filmmaking, and and one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted to do something like this uh, to to actually create something and and talk with people and and have something more immediate than uh, than like a, a three year process of of waiting for uh, you know the right things to hit in the right order. Um, but yeah, we could talk a little bit um, next week about. Uh, things to tease about foreign sales companies and, and choosing it and then trying to balance out a cast because uh, that's a little bit where we are right now. I think we'll probably be settling on that decision in the next week or two and then trying to go out uh, to different people that can raise the overall sales number of the film um, to get us the budget that we want to make it. Because you can make a movie at different budgets it's a lot of the reason why you see those names of the, you know, the, you know, uh, I call it like the, the there's the, the Pulp Fiction uh, trio or maybe even quad of uh, Samuel L and, and John Travolta and Bruce Willis and even Ving Rhames, you know, that's why they're in these movies and uh, in these different places and, and, uh, and they still bring a ton of value. And, uh, you know, if you, if you use them correctly, they can still be awesome. So it is, um, it, 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 all of that kind of makes more sense once you're inside the bubble and you realize, you know, like it, uh, the foreign sales market is you're trying to find hidden value and you're trying to get 
whereas they are trying to find bankable value. They're trying to find actors that they know have value. And you're trying to find ones that like have value, but haven't been quite used the way you want to use them. And you're trying to find a mine gold on these edges to make your movie, you know, one, make it happen, which is always first and foremost, and then obviously make it special, make it worth making. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of knee deep in that process, and then we're we're talking to different territories as, as a place to film it, and that's an also fascinating thing. You know, I, I met with uh, a producer who is um, based out of uh, Belgrade, Serbia, and uh, they're showing me the, the the studios that they have in Serbia now. It looked incredible, and um, their, their backlot looked really amazing, and the city looks amazing. I'm always get very excited about kind of going into these different places and seeing what they can have doubled. And um, I'm one of those people that like, yeah, what I've learned at least through the process is that like, do not stick to like, unless your locations and your action movie are like a hundred percent necessary to the story, which in the case of beyond skyline, it was like the, the Laos location, the, the fact that it was Laos was thematically relevant to me. So even though we we're shooting Indonesia, I, I held on to Laos. And that made a lot of Indonesians upset when we're using Indonesian locations. So it was one of those things in hindsight, like maybe I should have figured out a way to adapt it and to change things. Um, in this case, the movie's locations are a little less thematically relevant. And so um, I was talking to this Serbian producer and he's like, you know, you could do the opening and you could say that opening mission is in Paris and then do the main mission in Belgrade because we have streets here that double for Paris you comp in an Eiffel Tower or two in the background and you're golden. And I was like, oh, that's fucking great advice. And so th that, those are the kind of little things that um, get adapted along the way in, in, in the different locations. And, and this is really generally a two location movie, like a two city movie. Um, but it, it, it was it was really, uh, you know, an interesting takeaway that sometimes that the, the reason for these finished products um, are, are kind of very practical. And that uh, if I set the majority of the movie in the city where I'm shooting, um, we might get uh, a little bit more of a red carpet treatment from the, the local uh, producers and authorities and, and, and the, the rebate, everything goes a little, a lot smoother because, you know, these different countries, they're, they're wanting the, their film industry to kind of showcase them. Um, so yeah, that, that's a little bit as far as I can go uh, as far as that, that project in the inside baseball track, but yeah, hopefully get, uh, there's a crunch now to get some shit done in the first two weeks of December. Cause then it's another period of uh, rich people on vacation and you're waiting uh, in limbo to hear anything back. Oh, uh, the, the ways of independent filmmaking, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's action for everyone. Everybody, we went a little long based on your feedback. I don't think y'all are going to complain too much about it, but uh, if you do let us know and we'll, we'll tighten it up. I can stop running my mouth so much. Um, I, is it I, Thanksgiving? I, is it Thanksgiving in the in tradition of overeating? We have yes. overspoken <laughs> and we are gorging you with action. Um, all right. So uh, vice, where can people find you? Once again, I'm on uh, Twitter uh, at Vifistis, uh, talking shit. And Liam, where can people find you? Twitter, Instagram, and uh, yeah, having a blast. And uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Hibachi Justice, and you can find Adkins Undisputed at Adkins Podcast. Um, 
So uh, next week, not a lot of uh, action coming out. There's the new Resident Evil, but I'm not going to go to a theater to see that as much as I really want to see that movie. So I expect, boys, we might just do a little sort of uh, free-flowing gab session next week. It'll be thanks. We'll be recording after Thanksgiving. We're all going to be putting up decorations and full in our bellies. So maybe we just do a little more free flowing thing next week. Uh, what do you think? I think, I think we should do a drunk pod next week. That's bro. That's you speak my language right now, but <laughs> assumption that I haven't been doing these the whole time, but nonetheless, I am down. I will do that. We can, we're going to do the eggnog edition. Yeah. <laughs> eggnog action for everyone. Eggnog edition. Um, all right. So with that boys, love you both. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thanks guys.